Hello everyone, I'm Javi. I'm going to be doing the uh, scripture reading today. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 5, 22. All right, 5.22, here we go. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done this to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my, by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Thanks, Javi. Well, good morning. You guys ready? Uh, yep. Hey, I'm JT. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that everybody's here today. So thankful to see everyone here today. So thankful to be in Exodus today. Um, before I jump in, here's the deal. Um, this has just been a morning of like distraction and weird things. Um, I woke up feeling off uh, for no reason at all. I got here and the technology's not working and the slides won't go through the right way. And, and we're trying to figure out how to get the live stream going. Like nothing, like nothing worked today. And I was telling, I was even telling Denny before I started preaching it, like I, I woke up just feeling off for no apparent reason. I had an awesome, we had an awesome day yesterday, didn't we? I hung out with, there was a girl's day. We had a guy's day with my son and my two nephews and we just dorked out and, and hung out and watched movies and just had the best day ever. And I just woke up off today, and then I get here, and it seems like everything's trying to stop this from working smoothly. Um, did, did, does anybody else feel like, did they, anybody else bring anything into here today that might distract you? Whether that's sin, or suffering, or apathy, or distracted mourning, or fight with your spouse, and you come in here and pretend like you didn't fight on the way over here? Like, any, anything like that going on in anybody else's life? I don't know what it is. It just feels, it feels good to be here, but something feels off. But the Lord is bigger than all of those things. 
Right? I love in the passage, he says, like, how's he comforting everyone? He says, he's comforting everyone. He says, I am the Lord. This isn't about me or my distractions or the technology or what, honestly, whatever you brought in the room today. God wants to give us peace and strength and hope in all of those things. So I'm just going to pray and ask God to be God, and then we're going to jump in, and God's going to move through his word today. Does that sound good? Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that this faith is not about us, that you didn't make it about how we feel on a particular day, how strong our faith is on a particular day, how, how much we trust you on a particular day, but you say, I am the Lord. Like, you don't have to trust in how we feel or technology or anything else because you are the Lord. And so, God, today, whatever we brought into this room today, I pray that you would help us to lay it at your feet, knowing that you want to carry those burdens with us, that you want to burn away our, burn away our sins so that you can refine us and be more like your son, that you want to be with us that Jesus, you came so that we could be with you, God. And so, God, I pray that you would just be big today. I pray that your spirit would move today and that um, we would just make it all about you and your glory today in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, I feel ready now. You feel ready? All right, good. Um, so I kind of have an interesting anniversary coming up for me and my family. I know I've talked in the past about, even in the series, about how my dad passed away when I was 15. Well, in about a week, we're coming up to my, the 10-year anniversary that my mom passed away. And it's just kind of, I've been thinking about it a lot because her birthday is actually right around Thanksgiving. And then right after her birthday, she passed away and it's been 10 years. And so it's been, it's been weighing on me more than a little more lately. And I've, I've been thinking about some things. And there's a lot of great memories, but I had one particular memory that, that reminded me of the passage we're going to be in today. Um, before my mom passed away, she actually moved in with Christy and I because she had very severe rheumatoid arthritis. I don't know if you're familiar with that kind of arthritis, but it's the kind that progresses. It never stops. And a lot of times, like, they have medications that work, but it seems like almost all the medications wear off eventually. They stop working. And you know, with rheumatoid arthritis, um, I I once had my mom's doctor say to me, you know, when when I treat cancer patients or patients with really severe diseases, um, they, they still, a lot of them still seem to have hope because they know one of two things. Either, either the medication and, and what we do is going to work or it isn't. And so they can have peace with that. I'm going to be healed or I'm going to pass away. That's the reality. But with the arthritis, it's never going to stop. The pain is never going to end. It's just going to progressively get worse. Typically, if you have it as early and as severe as my mom did, it's typically going to get worse to where you're going to be crippled eventually. And she knew that was coming for her. And my, my, my doctor said, you love your mom well because there's a lot of hopelessness found there when you know it's never going to end. It's never going to stop. Does that make sense? And so my mom has gotten to the point where she's gonna ha- she had to have her shoulder replaced. She's going to have to have her knee replaced. I mean, the rheumatoid arthritis just ate away all of, all of the stuff on the inside, right? So she started to have things replaced. And she was just going to have, like, pain was basically just what her future was going to be. And, and she was in a ton of pain all of the time. And sometimes, because of the hopelessness of that pain, of knowing that it was never, ever going to get any better, um, sometimes she would see the world through the lens of that suffering. She would see the world through the lens of that pain, through that struggle, through that hopelessness. And it could really affect our relationship at times. Does that make sense? She was a strong woman. She loved Jesus. I loved her. I know that she loved me, but some days were just hard. I mean, some weeks were just hard. And I remember, and this is not me disparaging my mom's character. I just want, I want you to see a picture of this, right? Because my mom was a good mom. I, I loved her, right? But I remember one time when she was living with us, she was just having a hard time adjusting to not living on her own anymore. I mean, she'd been without my dad for almost 20 years. She, she lived in her own house alone for a very long time. That's who she was. And so when she moved into our house, you can imagine that was a big adjustment for her to be in my house now where, you know, it wasn't her house and she couldn't really, she could be alone, but not, not alone like she used to be. And she was having a really bad week, a really painful week. And on those weeks, she kind of, we kind of avoided each other some, right? Because she just knew how it was going to play out. Well, um, 
we had a kind of an altercation. I walked in her, in her part of the house to see how she was doing, and she just kind of went off on me. And saying all, all, look, all of these things that I've done wrong, all the reasons she was angry with me, all these things I could have done differently, um, it just got pretty ugly. And I knew the things that she was saying she was going to later regret, but in the moment, still, sometimes I would kind of rise to that bait, rise to that, because I felt unjust, right? Felt unjust to be treated that way in that moment. And so sometimes I would come back at her, to, like to my shame now. Um, but I, I could just tell on this day um, that all of her pain and her hurt and her sorrow and her hopelessness was just pouring out of her. I could just see it. And on that day, for whatever reason, praise God, I didn't want to respond. I didn't want to come back. I didn't want to fight for justice in the relationship. I could just hear the pain in her voice. I could hear the hurt. And so I didn't respond in a way that would lead me to shame later like I did other times. When she was done, I remember it so clearly. I, I just kind of stopped and took a breath and I asked her, Mom, do you think I love you? Honestly, do you, do you believe that I love you? And it stopped her for a second. She kind of looked at me shocked. I remember the look on her face. And really, irritably, honestly, she said, yes. Right? You can, ima- can, you, can you imagine that face? Yes. Right? And then, I, and then I said, Mom, honestly, answer this. Be honest with me. Just be honest with me. Do you think I'm a bad man? And she looked at this time, she looked at me like confused. She's like, no, of course, I don't think you are a bad man. I was like, Mom, honestly, I know I fail and I know I'm not perfect, but tell me the truth. Do you think I'm a bad son? And she visibly softened when I asked that question. And she said, no, I don't think you're a bad son. And so I asked her, if you don't think any of those things are true, why so often lately does it seem like you assume the worst about me and my character? Why do you assume that I'm, I'm out to hurt you instead of I love you? you go, Mom, I... I do love you. I moved you in here with us because I want to take care of you and I want to be a good man and I want to do the right thing by you and by Jesus and I want to be a great son. I want to be a good son. And so what is it about what I'm doing that makes you feel like to respond like that, that I mean ill towards you. I want bad things for you. I want nothing but good for you because that's what I want. And so tell me what I can do differently so that you'll think of me as a good man, a good son, and that I love you. And for whatever reason on that day, she saw it, right? She saw the way she, the things that she said. She saw that she, she, she could really see that she was seeing me through the wrong lens, that, that we could work forward, that I did love her, that I was a good son, and that I wasn't perfect in any way, and there's lots of things I needed to change, right? But that, that I was for her and that she was for me. And honestly, it was like this turning point in our relationship. Does it always work like that in, when you have tough conversations with people? No, but praise God, for whatever reason, on that day, it was like this turning point in our relationship. And it didn't mean everything after that was rosy, right? She had, a difficult, she had a difficult go in life, at the end of life. But our relationship was better after that point. You see, when we're, ju- we're jumping back into Exodus today. And, and what we're going to see is Exodus is a p- people viewing their lives, their leaders, even God, through the lens of pain, through the lens of suffering, through the lens of hopelessness. And because of that, because of that lens, they're seeing things wrongly. They're just, they're not going to see things clearly. They're not going to see who God is clearly. They're not going to see who they are clearly. They are going to let the hopelessness and the suffering be the thing that they see everything else through. Make sense to you? That's what we're seeing today. They get angry with God. They get angry with Moses. We're going to see people angry and disappointed and suffering and basically giving up on things. But here, here's what I want to see. Even though people are responding to God in anger, I want you to see today, God does not respond to them in anger. He doesn't get down in the muck with them. God is going to patiently 
remind them of what he has done. He's going to patiently remind them of what he's doing. He's going to patiently remind them of what he's promising to do. He's going to remind them of who he is. And because of who he is, who they are in him. That's how God's going to respond to this. That's how God responds. Just like I said this morning, when things just felt off. I don't need to remember what all the things that I need to do or think about technology and everything else. I need to remember who the Lord is, and that'll give me the right lens to see everything else. That's where we're going today. And so if you're new today, we've been walking through the book of Exodus, and we're in week 11. We're a little bit, little bit less than a third of the way through the book. And what has happened is the Israelites, if you don't know the story, have been enslaved by Egypt. They've killed their babies. They've oppressed them enormously. And so they cry out to God. And God hears their cries. He says, I hear you, I know you, and I'm coming for you. So he sends Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron are there to go in front of the king, in front of Pharaoh, to say, let my people go. Let God's people go. And they obey, and they do what God asked. And they say, Pharaoh, God commands you let his people go. And what does Pharaoh say? No. And not only does he say no, he increases their suffering. He increases their oppression. Things get much worse for the Hebrews. When I say the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews, they're all the same people. It's just three different names, right? He increases the oppression to the point that they're about to break. So the people get angry with Moses. They get angry with Aaron and basically say, God judge you for what you've done to us. They don't blame Pharaoh. They blame Moses and Aaron. In a roundabout way, they blame God for their oppression, for their suffering. They just, they just don't understand. They just don't understand. So that was the response of the people when the oppression got worse, when they didn't understand what God was doing. This we're going to get to see Moses' response, how Moses responds to God when things don't go at all the way they thought they were going to go, when in fact they got worse. But we're not going to only see Moses' response. If you saw in the text that we read it, we're also going to see God's response, God's response to their lack of faith and their brokenness that's leading them down this dark path. God as you might guess, doesn't respond the way that we do. And praise God for that. So with, look, with that context, let's look at Exodus chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 again. Exodus 5, verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So the Israelites responded by getting mad at Moses and Aaron. But how does Moses respond? By literally getting mad at God. Like, I'm going to say this is bold, but I think it's more than bold. I'd say that the things that that Moses just said to God are reckless. Did you hear what he said to him? He didn't say, God, why have you done this? He said, God, why have you done evil to this people? Is that, I think that goes beyond bold, like a holy and righteous and good God to say in your moment of anger, in your moment of suffering, in your moment of not understanding, saying, God, why have you done evil? God is not capable of evil. He's the opposite of evil. He's holy and righteous. And Moses knows this. But in this moment, he's seeing it through the lens of his brokenness and through his hurting through, God, I didn't want to come do this in the first place. I told you I couldn't do this. I went up and I did it and you say you'd be with me and I I didn't say it right or whatever I did wrong, it didn't go well. Pharaoh didn't listen. Everything got worse. The oppression got worse. Everyone's being beat into the ground and they're blaming me. God, why would you do this? Is there anybody in this room that doesn't understand that reaction? I wouldn't condone that reaction. And if, if... 
somebody in my family or somebody I care about was responding to God like that, I'd be there with them and I'd try to talk them off that ledge. But are any of us going to act like we don't at least understand it? Moses says this reckless thing to God through the lens of his brokenness and his hurt. Here's the thing, Moses isn't okay in this moment. And if you're here last week, do you remember what I said about that? It's okay if today you're not okay. As I said last week, what, what a stupid thing we've created in the church where we all come in here and pretend like everything's good when the whole point is that we need a healer, that we're broken, and our, our Savior, our healer, wants to heal us from that brokenness one step at a time to bring us into His presence, but yet we come in here and pretend. It's okay if you're not okay. We also said, though, but, don't pretend, but it's, it's just not okay, to, it's not okay to stay there. Right? We, don't, we don't want you to stay there. We don't want the pain or the suffering or the hopelessness to become a part of who you are. Are you to think of it as part of who you are? You're a child of God. You're not your suffering. You're not your pain. You're not your sin. You're not your past. So it's not okay to stay there. You know why it's okay? You know why we say it's okay if you're in that place? What we're going to see today is because God is bigger than all of those things. Because as I said before, I said in my prayer, because our faith is not about you and how you're doing on a particular day. It's about God and who he is all the time, who he is always been, who we will always be. And so the people get really angry and say hard, I would say even devastating things, asking God to, to judge Moses for doing the right thing. And then Moses says terrible things. God, you've done evil to your people. And because of you, evil has been done to your people. But how does God respond to the faithlessness? How does God respond to the recklessness? Look at verse 1 in chapter 6. Let's read it again. Verse 1. We'll read 1 through 3. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of, this, out of his land. God spoke to Moses and he said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So God doesn't respond to Moses' hurt and anger with anger of his own. And I think that's how we believe that God's going to respond to us most of the time. If we're, if we're children of God, I think a lot of times that we feel like that's how God responds to us or thinks of us. If we're angry, if we're hurt, if our faith has, has fallen, that God's just angry with us or he's like severely disappointed with, it, with us. But I love one of the things that he started with here. God starts with his, I am the Lord. Remember Moses, I am the Lord. Remember that above anything else. He doesn't make it about Moses. He makes it about who he is. And, he, and what he's doing here, he's going back to the promise he already made. He said earlier in Exodus 3, when Moses was at the burning bush, the only way that Moses is going to bring, is going to listen is by a strong hand. So I'll bring my strong hand against him and he will, ha I'll force him to listen. I'll force him to let his people go. And so this is God reiterating that, prom that promise. Only with a strong hand is this is going to happen. And by my strong hand, the people are going to be set free. And then in verse 3, God is saying to Moses, listen, Moses, your forefathers knew my name too. I made promises to them. Your forefathers knew my name, but they, don't, they didn't know my name the way that you know my name. They didn't have access to me the way, Moses, you have access to me. I have told you who I am. I am the I am. 
I've given myself to you. I've shown you more of myself. So take that, own that, and move forward for I am with you. I'm with you in a way that I wasn't even with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And that's a bold thing for God to say because over and over in Scripture, it says, who's, the, who's he the God of? Of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. And he's reiterating to Moses, I am with you in a way that they, you know my name in a way that they never knew my name. Trust me. I keep my promises because I am the I am. I am before and I am after. So he says it to Moses to encourage him, but he's not done. In verses 4 through 8, he reminds Moses once again of what he has promised he would do and what he is promising to do and what he is actually doing. I don't know if you've seen this pattern in Exodus. This has been repeated over and over this is one of the reasons I say we never move past the gospel. How many times do we need to hear things to, for it to actually start to sink in, for us to actually believe it over and over and over and over? And so God's going to repeat to him again. And I, as I said before, this may be one of the most important texts in Scripture, not in Scripture, in Exodus, because it, re, it really, re, verses 4 through 8, really reiterates what this book is about. It kind of lays out, especially for the first half of Exodus, what God is doing, what God is promising. It really lays out the themes for this entire book. And so as we read verses 4 through 8, I want you to look for the themes. Covenant faithfulness. God's covenant faithfulness. God's deliverance and God's presence. I want, to, I want you to see if you can see these themes as we walk through verses 4 through 8. Read it with me. Chapter 6. I also established my covenant with them, with the forefathers, with them to give the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will what? What's that word? Deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment." I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. And he finishes, I am the Lord. I don't know if you remember if you were here, this is the passage I started off with when we launched this series. In the very first sermon I preached, I said, this is what the book of Exodus is about, and I read this passage because it just lays it out so simply. Did you see the themes running through that passage as, as we went through it? Right in verses 3 and 4, we see that God reminds us of his covenant faithfulness, right? He reminds them that since you're for, I, made that, I made my covenant with your forefathers and I intend to keep those covenants, a covenant, one that I, I, I promised to make in Genesis 12 and 15, I, I promised to make a huge people group out of you and then out of that people group to create a nation. Well, God's already halfway fulfilling that covenant, isn't he? They're already an enormous people group. They've grown to what, what most historians believe and biblical scholars believe, hundreds of thousands of people, from a small family to hundreds of thousands of people. So God's already began fulfilling that covenant, but he's also saying, I'm going to give you a land that's coming. So God's covenant faithfulness, we see that so clearly right here. The second theme, God's deliverance. In verse 5 and 6, God says, I heard, I have heard your groaning, I have seen your slavery, I have remembered my covenant, and I am coming for you. We talked about when they heard that the first time, they, they worshiped God because it had been so long. They had been so oppressed. They worshiped God because he's promising to come. 
He says, I love, I love how in verse 6 he says, I am the Lord. Over and over, I am the Lord. Why is he going to deliver them? Why do you think God's going to deliver them? It's simply because it's who God is. At, at the heart of God, he is a deliverer. At the heart of who God is, he is a savior. That's who God is. He wants to save. He wants to redeem his people. He's saving them simply because of who he is. He's making the thing. It's not because of what you've done. It's not because, even because he chose the Israelites for some particular reason, he's saving them because of who he is. That's who your God is. Hold on to that church. When all seems lost, your God and who he is is a deliverer. He wants to save you. He wants to deliver you. He wants to be with you. That's, that's who God is. And let this comfort you too. He says, not only am I going to save the people, I promise to save them, but I'm going to judge those who brought evil against them. It's okay to see evil in the world and want God to judge that evil. Sometimes because I think we, we always say that God is love and Jesus Christ saves and redeems and brings grace and mercy. All those things are absolutely true. But he's also a judge. And if some of you in this room know what, really know personally know what evil is, don't you? Evil's been done to you. Maybe some of you have done evil. Like some of the things you know you've done in the past were evil and you know it. And what's been done to you is evil and you know it. It's okay to want God to judge evil. Now I know what, we don't want God to judge us, do we? There is grace and mercy for anyone who comes to the Lord in Jesus Christ. Anyone. But also God says, I said this last week too, I think, God is an avenger. He will avenge those who have wronged his people. If they don't come to know Christ, if they don't come into God's grace and mercy, he will avenge. And so we can know that God not only wants to save us and deliver us, but that God's for us and he sees the evil and he hates the evil and he will judge the evil. And so we can trust him with that too. There's a peace in knowing that we don't have to bring revenge, that we don't have to be the one to bring the penalty on everyone else, that we have a Lord who loves us so much, he's not going to only deliver us, but he's going to make all things right in the end. God is a deliverer. And then in verses 7 and 8, God promises them maybe the greatest thing. I'm saying that's a bold statement. Better than deliverance? I think he promises them the greatest thing. That they will truly be his people. And they will, and he will truly be their God. And they will know that, and they will know him. And God's going to be with them. You know, a part of bringing them to the promised land, it wasn't just about a land. We see it all through the Old Testament. The promised land was really about God undoing the curse undoing the curse of Adam and Eve when they sinned against God and they got kicked out of the garden and they got kicked out of God's presence. There was a separation between them and God. Really, the rest of the story of the Bible, we see it all through the Old Testament, is God restoring that. Is God bringing that back into right relationship. That's the story of Scripture from Adam and Eve on. That's why the Old Testament is so important for us to understand because the New Testament constantly quotes the Old Testament all the time. And if we don't have a grasp of God's plan of redemption from Genesis to Exodus through the rest of Scripture, we can never really understand how big our God is and what he's done and why he's doing what he's doing. And so what we see with the promise of the land is God is one step at a time re restoring, renewing, redeeming, and bringing us back to what we lost in the garden. The beautiful part of that is he's promising us something way better in the end than they ever had in the garden. It's God redeeming all things. And so this land is not about land. As we go through the rest of Exodus, you're going to see it's about God's presence with his people in that land through the tabernacle. Tab tab tabernacle? Did I get it, Mike? Tabernacle? Through the tabernacle and later to the temple. That God's going to have a place. I'm going to come. I'm going to provide for you. Hey, if you follow me faithfully, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. Yeah, there's these enormous armies and nations all around you. You don't have to worry. I got you. 
because I'm going to be with you. You're my people, and I'm your God, and my presence is going to be with you, and I'm going to show you the way. Just be faithful. What a promise. What a promise. We want salvation. Salvation is great. God's presence is better. God's presence is better than salvation. Salvation leads to that thing. That's what salvation is really about, God's presence. This is what he's promising them. That's, that's what these themes are really about. It's all pointing to a fact that we're not enough. And that can almost seem like a downer. It's not, because we were never supposed to be enough. This lie that we have in our, our culture and even in our churches that you're supposed to be enough. You're supposed to be good. That was never... That's never been the story of Scripture. Yes, we're capable of good, and Jesus will grow us into doing good. The whole point was God's saying, hey, I never built you to have to be enough. It's, it's so that I can draw you into my presence so you can experience actual goodness, actual grace and mercy, actual glory by you not trying to be enough because I want to be enough for you so that you'll know what you actually need. It's, it's God loving us well. It's God because he loves us. And so that's... That's the themes of Exodus. That's what we're going to be, I'm going to be saying again and again and again. I want to lock them into your brain. And so last week we really focused in on how that plays out for the Israelites, what they need to remember. But this week I want to take that a a step further. I want us to really look at those themes. I want us to look at those promises in the context of who we are in Christ. Very specifically, who we are in Christ. Because like I said, in the end, Going back to books like Genesis and the Exodus is extremely important. Right? We get to see God, how big he is, the historical context of just how faithful God has been again and again and again. One more time, it's why the New Testament constantly quotes the Old Testament, because they want, you, they want the Jews and the Gentiles to know, look, who God, look what God has done. If you understand this context, then grace and mercy and God's deliverance is so much bigger. It's so much better. But here's the reality. We are... We live in the New Testament, don't we? We live as New Testament Christians, don't we? I say that. i got to be careful with that. We're Old Testament Christians too, right? It's all one story, right? But we have Jesus. And so I want to look in these, at these themes in the context of Jesus. And more than that, I want to look, look at them from Jesus' own words. So we're going to just, we're, I'm, what I'm about to do is I'm just going to read a bunch of passages. I normally don't, don't do that. I normally kind of try to stick to one because I don't want to lose people as we go. But I just want to look at Jesus' words today. And I want you to see so clearly from Scripture why Jesus is the answer to God's covenant faithfulness. Why Jesus is the answer of God's promise for deliverance. And why Jesus is the answer of, of God's presence being with us. He is the fulfillment of all of those things. Even all the things in Exodus were all pointing to him. We're all pointing to this. I thought this was specifically important because we're coming into Advent season. That's a really churchy word. So if you don't know what that means, it just really means the coming the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ. And so next week, if you remember, we're not going to be here. It's our one week off a year. Have a good Thanksgiving. We're going to have a family worship guide. Denny's going to talk about that in a little while. We're going to have a family worship guide. We still want you to worship. We're just going to have you worship from home so we can rest and all our volunteers can have a break for a week. But then next week, we're really, we're going to be in Exodus one more week, but it's really Advent season, isn't it? We start celebrating the coming of the Christ. So particularly in Advent season, I wanted us to look in these themes of the truth of who Jesus is, what he said, and what his coming actually means. So if you want to follow along with us, you can. We're going to start in Luke 22. I mean, Javi's going to put it up on the board. I'm just going to put these scriptures up on the board, but we're going to be in Luke, and then for the rest of the time, we'll be in John. Um, And so the first one I want to look at in Luke 22, verse 19, is how is Jesus the fulfillment of God's covenant faithfulness? This covenant faithfulness that was talked about all the way back in Genesis 
in Exodus. So read Luke 22, 19 through 20 with me. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new what? Covenant in my blood. That's probably a familiar passage to a lot of us. That's at the Last Supper, right before Jesus was crucified. It's what we, it's what we read when we do communion. And so I want us to see in the context of all of these promises, all of these covenants through all of the Old Testament, Jesus is saying here that my broken body and my spilled blood is the new covenant that's about to come once this happens, right? I'm bringing a new covenant. And really the New Testament, the Old Testament too, go back and read Jeremiah 31, go read through the book of Isaiah, right? Really the Old Testament too, but the New Testament makes this very clear that this is the fulfillment of all Old Testament covenants. The new covenant, the better covenant is the fulfillment of what the old covenant could never be. The old covenant was always meant to foreshadow what would come in the New Testament with Christ and the new, the new covenant that came with Jesus Christ's blood. He is the fulfillment of all of the promises throughout all of Scripture. I don't know if there's a better passage in explaining what this really is all about than John 6. John 6, 37 through 40. It says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven. I love that phrase. Sometimes people say, well, did Jesus really come down? Yeah, it says right here. For I came, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In the end, this is God's faithful plan. Do you see it? This was God's plan from the beginning, that he would redeem his people. And the plan for redemption was always about bringing back what was lost in the garden, always bringing people back into his presence, always about giving us eternal life with our Father, with our King, with the Lord of Lords, with our Savior. That is God's ultimate goal for us, to bring us back in to him, to what he always intended for us, for us to have eternal life where you and I will live with him in glory forever and ever more as his family. We don't hold on to that truth enough, church, do we? It's one of those, I think it's one of those truths. Let's be honest, it's harder to hold on to, that we're going to have an eternity and perfection and pleasures and only good things forevermore, and that we get to be with God forevermore. That's what all these promises come down to. God is rescuing us. He's saving us. He's protecting us. He's guarding us. He's helping us persevere so that we can have that day. All the promises are leading into that truth. It's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the way. So much so, let's look at our next theme, deliverance. Another famous passage. I'm going to be reading almost only famous passages from here on out. There's a reason they're famous. There's a reason that they're so good. There's a reason that so many people know them. And if you don't know them, don't feel bad today, right? Welcome to some of the best passages in Scripture. You're welcome, right? But we're going to look at God's deliverance in John 14, 6. Jesus being the answer to the plan for God's deliverance, the promise, the theme. It says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, God's own Son, is the way to, re to redemption. We all know that, don't we? I think most of us know that. I hope that we know that. He is the one way. It's not the law. 
It's not how well you follow commands. It's not how good of a person you're trying to be. It's not the things you have done or haven't done in your past. Jesus in himself is the answer. And I say this to the guys at Victory Mission all the time. It's not, the gospel is not the story of what Jesus Christ did. It's Jesus Christ himself. He is the good news. Now we need to understand the story. How did Jesus, who is in himself the Savior of the world and is the gospel, we have to know that he lived the perfect life, that he died the death that we deserve to die, that he was resurrected so that we could be forgiven for our sins and and created as something new in him. And now he has ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for the saints. We've got to know that is the gospel. But it's because of who Jesus is. He is the gospel. And praise God he did not make this thing complicated. Oh man, all the time people say, well, we just can't really know God and we can't really know the way. There's, there's lots of different paths. No, there is not a lot of different paths. Scripture makes it clear. Scripture is either true or it is not true. And praise God, he didn't make it complicated. Praise God, he didn't make us wander through the wilderness for our entire life, wondering if we're good enough, wondering if we, we picked the right way to get to him. He says, no, this is the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And maybe that sounds harsh until we read John 3. You've got to love John 3. How can you not love it? Yeah, it's some, for somebody, it's almost cliche. It's been said so many times because it's so good. Hear John 3 new again today. Right, ask God to help you hear this new again today. Read it with me. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That is deliverance. That's the good news in Jesus Christ. And I love, do you remember who he was talking to when he said this? He's sitting there talking to a religious leader that's supposed to know it all. That's supposed to have it all together. That thinks his, his good and right actions are going to help him get into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, stop trying. He's basically, stop trying so hard. Stop trying to figure it all out. Here is your way. As Moses lifted up the serpent, we're going to, get, we're going to cover that in Exodus, by the way, later. There's a serpent that was lifted up on a pole that brought healing to people. And he wants this guy who would have known that story to say, I'm going to be lifted up in the same way. The Son of Man is going to have to be lifted up. And in lifting up, he's going to bring true healing. God loves you so much that he's going to give his own son that if you just believe, just believe in faith, you will be saved. And not only that, you'll have eternal life. Because listen, the Son of God, the Son of Man is not coming to condemn the world, to judge the world, but to bring healing, to save it, to redeem it. God loves us so much that he gave his only son. Listen, no truth in your life is ever going to be better than that one. And maybe you've heard it. Maybe you know it, but hold on to that. Your Savior, your King, your Lord has saved you. He gave his own son to save you because he loves you that much. And not only that, he's now interceding for you. Jesus is interceding for you so that you might be with him, so that you might know him. And it's not just now. You realize that it's not just now. Jesus doesn't condemn you now if you're in him. He saves you. He grows you. He makes you more like him. But it's also 
referring to the last day when we're truly saved. If you ever hear the Bible say we're saved, but we will be saved, we are saved in this life. Absolutely we are. But I think I may even said this last week, the true day, the true, the true, true salvation comes on that last day when you stand before God as we all will and we will be judged. When honestly, here's the truth, what's deserved is we should have to take responsibility for all of our sin on that day and that day would be an ugly day. And if you're not in Jesus Christ, that is a hard, ugly day with a lot of hard truths because on that day it is heaven or hell. It's eternal damnation or eternal grace and love and mercy and peace with God forevermore. It's on that day when we're standing before God and we are judged for all of our sins where Jesus will still be interceding for us and he'll be like, no, 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 Father. No, no, that one's mine. I died for that one. That one's ours. And because of his righteousness, because of his holiness covering you, all of your sins will pass over you and Jesus will say, come with me, good and faithful servant. You're mine. We're family. Let's go. Let's go have a good time. That's what Jesus is really saving you into. Man, come with me. All I've got for you is joy. All I've got for you is pleasure forevermore. No, no, I know, I know what you deserve, but I covered that. Come on, man, let's go. Forever. So good. That's what Jesus has saved you for. That's what God gave his son so that you could be redeemed. That is our true hope. Not that we've been saved now, that we're saved to that day. When Jesus wraps his arms around us and says, let's go. Oh, it's so good. Man, I long to hear those words, especially in this time. I mean, this has been a hard year, right? There's been days I just want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's move on, right? But there's still work to do. There's still people to tell the gospel about, so we can't be too ready to move on. But like, it's okay. It's that tension, right? I'm ready to go, but not yet. But let's go. But Jesus, wait, right? That's where we are right now. Live in that tension and look forward to the day because that's our hope. That's what deliverance, that's what salvation really means. That's what Jesus is trying to tell you. And then God's presence. The last theme that we see in Exodus, which is a theme of the entire Bible. These are not really themes of Exodus. There's themes of God playing out in the whole Bible. It's John 14. Again, this time we're going John 14, 15 through 17. It says this. Look for that theme of presence. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Hold on. I'm going to derail. If we could just get that straight, if we could just get that one thing straight, do you know how much more of God we'd experience? Hear me. We know this. I'm going to say it again because I don't think you actually live it half the time. It doesn't say, if you follow my commandments, you'll truly know me and I'll love you. I know we know that, but how often, so often I hear people living in shame and guilt, thinking they should be better. Right? It says, if you love me, that's the most important part. Because if we've truly given our lives to Jesus Christ, if we truly love him, if we've made him, made him our Lord, that's what the resurrection that's what the resurrection was pointing to, that you have a new life. He makes you new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He makes you new, so you are now capable of following his commandments. Do you see that? God loves you so much, he wants to save you, redeem you, change you, empower you, be your strength, be your hope, be your peace, so that you might actually have the capability of following his commandments. Praise God, I am not what I was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And it's not because I'm good. It's because God is good. It's because he loved me and he said, come. And I came and now I know that I love him and I know that he loves me and he's empowering me to follow his commandments. And you know what? This is why David said, I love the law. David would say in the Psalms, I love, I delight in the law. Why? Because when you love God and you start following him and you experience the joy of following his commandments, that he gives his commands because he loves us, because he wants the best for us, then you understand the love of God. That commandments are in no way to try to hold you down, oppress you, or put this box around you. It's to set you free because holiness is freedom. Sin is slavery. 
Apathy is slavery. Trying to do everything your own way and be your own man or be your own woman is slavery. Holiness is freedom. Because that's how God built you. Back to the passage. John 14. Let's, Let's actually read it this time. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Capital H, helper. To be with you forever. And even the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, Holy Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I don't know if you know how big of a deal that is. I don't have time to spend a lot of time on it, but I love how he says, he dwells with you. He's talking to the disciples. He dwells with you, but will be in you. Do you know why that's so significant? Because in the Old Testament, they didn't have what you have. we got to say this again and again and again so it sinks in. The Holy Spirit was with people in the Old Testament. But Christian, if you're in Jesus Christ, he is in you. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit's with you, disciples. But he's pointing forward to Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit's going to fall and the Holy Spirit is then going to indwell his people. Like God's own presence is going to be in us, working through us, guiding us. It took the holiness of Christ. It took the righteousness of Christ because we are too sinful for God's presence to dwell in us. But Jesus Christ died on that cross, redeemed us of our sin, washed us clean, and then covered us with his righteousness, filled us with his holiness. And so God now places his Holy Spirit within us. Now here's the question. Why? Why does it say here? To help you. How crazy is that? To help you. To be your helper. Church, think about this for a second. I, I know we know these. Some of us know this story. I want you to think about it. We sin against God. You still sin against God. We have rebelled against God. We have knowingly, knowingly done it our way instead of his way. And maybe, we won't, maybe we'll call that sin. Maybe you wouldn't said it was sin. But you knew I really should do it this way, but I really want to do it this way. So you did it that way. And how does God respond to that? How has God responded to that? He put a plan together for our redemption that stretches all the way through the ages, all the way back to the beginning, beyond that, so we can see how faithful he is. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and and pay it so that we could be made completely new. And he is promising to save us on the last day so that we might have eternal life with him forever in glory. And he's even promising to share his glory and the inheritance of Christ with us. Shouldn't that be enough? Shouldn't that be enough for us just to be faithful and thankful and want to follow God all the time? It should be enough. But to a God who so loved the world, to a God that was so faithful to us, it seems seems like to me reading the Bible that redemption wasn't enough. He also says that he wants to help us. That God himself... The Holy Spirit wants to come and dwell in, with you, in you and with you so he can be your helper. You think God doesn't care about the little things that are going on in your life? You think God doesn't care about the little steps forward or the big steps backward? You think God doesn't care about all the hard things, the good things that are going on in your life right now? You think he doesn't care? You think he doesn't know every hair on your head and care deeply about those things? The Holy Spirit shows us who our God really is, that God wants to be there with you. 
He wants to be there with you to help you, to guide you, to encourage you, to show you the way to Christ, to conform you into the image of Christ. God cares so much that redemption wasn't enough. He wants to be with you and to know that he's with you every step of the way. That is a beautiful thing. I think, maybe this is an exaggeration, it feels like to me most people still think of God as kind of that distant being out there and God saying, no, 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 I'm not out there. I'm right there. I'm with you. I'm in you. Why won't, why won't you see what I've done so that I could be right there with you in the mess or in the joy? I'm with you. Jesus is the perfect picture of God's covenant faithfulness because he's the answer of every covenant. He is the perfect picture of God's deliverance because he in himself is God's deliverance and he's the perfect picture of God's presence because by his death, he gave us the ability to be in God's presence through the Holy Spirit and he's guaranteeing our salvation on the last day, eternal life with our God forever. You know, in the last part of our passage in Exodus, we're not going to reread it today, but in verse 9 through 13, God reminds, once again, he's reminding them of his covenant faithfulness, of their coming deliverance, and of his presence that is with them and will be with them. But here's the thing. Read it again in a minute. They couldn't hear it. They couldn't hear it. Their broken spirits led them back to hopelessness and slavery. Their, their skewed lens prevented them from seeing the truth, even though God just told them the truth once again. Even Moses went back to God once again saying, God, I'm not good enough. I wasn't built for this. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard, God. I'm not enough. God picked, he's basically saying, pick someone else. God, I told you this was going to happen. And listen, sometimes that might be you too. Sometimes it might be you too, because here's the reality. We don't have to hide from it. Life is hard. This year has shown us this. Life is hard. Difficult things happen. And sometimes we're not going to understand. Sometimes for some of us, it's just going to be hard to go on. We can be honest about those things. Can we? Can we in church? Can we be honest for some of us? There's those days like, I don't know how to go on. It's okay. It's not okay that you feel that way. You hear what I'm saying, right? It's okay that you're, you're there in that moment. We love you. God loves you. God is not looking at Moses or the people saying, how dare you feel this way on this day? How dare you say these things? He responds in a completely different way. And so sometimes we're going to see things through the lens of our anger, our hurt, our pain, our suffering, or even in this way, our disappointment in God. Our anger at God our frustrations with God. And we might even say some dumb things, some reckless things to God. And it's in times like these we have to ask ourselves or, or pray, have people around us that can help us see these things. We have to ask ourselves, who is our God proven to be? Do I believe his promises? Do I believe that God is faithful? Do I believe that God has delivered and will deliver? Do I believe that God's presence is with me? I know I said this last week. I'm saying it again. We need to hear it. We need to, we need to think, through that, like, think through this. Do I believe these things or not? Is Scripture true or not? Is God true or not? That's how we fight. So like when my mom was going down that dark path, right? Going down the dark path, seeing it through the, the lens of her pain, I had to stop and ask her in that moment, Mom, who do you really think I am? Who, Mom, who have I proven to be? 
What am I doing right now, Mom? And what am I promising to do for you and the family in the future so that she could take a step back and stop seeing things through the lens of hurt and pain and hopelessness and see it through the lens of truth? Sometimes we have to stop and ask ourselves, do I really see God this way? Do I view God through the lens of truth? Because it's in those times we desperately, church, we desperately have to hold on to the truth because we are sinking sand at times. We're just not strong enough to hold ourselves up, are we? We have to hold on to truth because we're not going to always understand. But in the end, we have the I am. And he is enough. And he is true. The I am. The beginning and the end. The Alpha and Omega. The I am that loved us so much that he had a covenant plan since the foundation of the world, sealed by the blood of his son, that we, if we just believe and have faith, that we'd have eternal life with him, that he has saved us and will save us. That's the truth. That is our lens. Like the I am that loved us so much that he gave his only son, that by simply believing in him through faith, we might be saved. We might be delivered from our sin and shame, and we might, might have the King of kings and the Lord of lords interceding on our behalf until we reach the day of glory because he loves us so much. That's the truth, and that's our lens. And finally, the I am that loves us so much that he put his own Holy Spirit in us, that he might help us, that he might guide us, and that he might slowly, one step at a time, conform us into the image of his son. So listen, this is what scripture says, so that we might have his joy and that our joy might be full. God wants joy for you. Not fleeting emotions like happiness or sadness, but a joy that we can hold on to, the joy of the Lord, knowing that He is the I am and we are not, and so we can trust. That's our lens, church. You are not a slave to your sin, to your emotions, to your past, to your current situation. You are a beloved child of God. Hold on to it, church. So on the days when you just can't see, when your lens is off, you remember, you remember God's covenant faithfulness, you remember his deliverance, and you remember the Holy Spirit is within you, guiding you, shaping you, molding you into what you should be. And you remember that if, if you believe that's true, it has to be that God hasn't abandoned you. It has to be that God, that God cares about you. It has to be that God sees you, and that he knows you, and that he's with you, and he's helping you to hold on to the truth so that you can make it through whatever may come. That's who your God is. That is the lens we see things through. Hold on to it, church. Remember who God is and remember who you are, and you can have, you'll have the strength and the hope to make it through anything. Let's pray. God, I wish I could preach well enough for people to see these truths. God, I wish I could preach well enough for me to see these truths in the fullness of what they are. God, I wish I had the perfect prayer. But God, thank you. You didn't make it about my sermons. You didn't make it about our prayers. You didn't make it about how well anybody's doing in the room or if they know all the right answers, if they know enough scripture. God, you made this all about you. God, oh, God, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that I... And everyone in this room doesn't have to carry the weight of being good enough, whatever that means. That you came and you were good enough for us because you adore us so much. We are so beloved to you. God, I know there's people in, 
just all over the map today. Some are doing amazing. Some are struggling terribly. And we got everything in between. God, I pray you'd be with us all. That in the joy, we would celebrate the joy. That we would rejoice in the joy. That we would point to you in the joy, knowing that you have blessed us, that you are with us. Hey, and I also pray for the people that are suffering right now, to know that they are still blessed by you, that you still love them, and that you aren't somehow against them in the heart, that you're for them and you're calling to them, come to me, remember who I am, help them, God, to hold on to truth, and surround them with people that can help them hold on to the truth when their faith isn't strong enough. God, help us to actually be the church, not a place where we come and pretend, but a family that holds each other together through the highs and the lows because of who you are, because this is your church. God, thank you for being so faithful to us. Whether we are faithful or not, you are so faithful. God, we're sinful. Sometimes we even act as your enemy, yet you delivered us, and you're promising to deliver us on the last day. God, thank you. And then, God, thank you for your presence that is with us. Help us to trust in that. Help us to come to you with confidence. And, God, we just pray that you would help us, shape us and mold us into who you'd have us be. God, help us to hold on to the truth. Because so many things want to rip it away. God, as we come into this season of Advent, help us to remember that, Jesus, you actually came. You delivered and you saved, and that nothing else in all the world is more important than that. We love you, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.